Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm William. This is the podcast where we talk about everything tabletop role-playing games. And today we are covering Malkinthet, Queen of the Succubi. One, two, three, Hey, Brian. Hey, Will. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm always excited for demon time. For demon time. For it's, demon lords. It's demon time. It, it, it is. That? Today is demon time. It's demon time. It is demon time. So, demon lords, demon lords, demon lords. Lehman dords. Demon queens. Oh. That's right. Today's topic is not just a demon lord of the abyss, but a queen of demon kind. And I just want to say I love that there are so many demon lords in D&D. And I love that our patrons keep voting to hear about them. If, <laughs> if Me a, too. Yeah. If a demon lord makes it to our patron voted episode polls, you may as well call it over at the start because the demon lord is going to win. <laughs> and who can blame our patrons? Demon lords have some of the richest and most interesting lore out there. Brian, I have taken you to some of the most corrupt and horrifying locations in the abyss on this show. Yeah, you have. We have gazed over the bone plains of Thanatos, walked through the hive cities of Oboxob, swam through the shadow sea, and even explored the twists and turns of Baphomet's maze of the misbegotten. Today, though, today, we're getting sexy with Malkin. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so let's get into it. Oh, no. We're getting sexy? <laughs> we're getting chaotic sexy. Chaotic sexy. All right. <laughs> so not long after the ancient Oberth demons were scattered and the Queen of Chaos was defeated on the fields of Pesh, the abyss lay depopulated. The Oberths had been removed from power, but their Tanari creations, demons fatted upon the sins and souls of mortal life, and were ready to claim the Abyss as their realm. Yeah, they are about to get in there. <laughs> the Tanari domination of the plane was swift, occurring in the blink of a cosmic eye. Unlike the Oberths, who crawled wet and ruinous from the heaving birth flesh of the Abyss itself, the Tanari seeded from much more fertile soil, the mortal spirit. As countless mortals lived and sinned and died, their wicked souls created an endless influx of raw material the abyss could shape. The process continues to this day, with often, often transitory Tanari breeds emerging from new depravities and mortal failings, only to go extinct without ever coming to the attention of material plane scholars who mistakenly consider themselves expert on all things demonic. They didn't even know. They, didn't they couldn't know. see that deep. Mm -mm. Yet certain sins are ageless and do not vary across the gulfs of time. Tanari born of these sins form the bulk of demonic life on the abyss, 
Wrath begets the hateful of rocks, envy the power-hungry glabrazoos, gluttony the ravenous nabasus, and so on. <laughs> and so it is with lust. The sin, this sin is the most potent for seeding demonic birth, as alone among the seven deadliest sins, it is inexorably intertwined with life, or to be more precise, with the apparatus for the creation of new life. And the children of mortal lust sifted through the nether of the abyss are perhaps the most scandalous demons of all. The succubi. That's our whole thing is to fuck. Kinda. That's like half of it. Okay. Yeah. Foreplay is the other half. <laughs> Whereas many Tanari were coaxed and shaped into being by the Oberance with the aid of the flesh-warping Sibriax demons, the succubi were the first Tanari to spontaneously form in the abyss. Embracing the mortal form rather than twisting and deforming it, they represented an evil the alien minds of the Oberiths could never grasp. The subtle, seductive quality was of a nature heretofore unseen in the Abyss. And as a result, the initial succubi grew, quickly grew to great power. As these original succubi scrambled to secure minions, defenses, and power, they quickly came into conflict with one another. Countless died in what came to be known as the War of the Ripe Flesh. Oh, no! What the F? <laughs> and those who survived emerged more powerful than before, grown deadly and more beautiful than ever after glutting upon the essences of their slaughtered sisters. <laughs> Eventually, it's a demon episode, bro. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, it's starting strong. <laughs> Eventually, the war of ripe, ripe flesh came to an end as the surviving succubi paragon settled in far-flung reaches of the abyss. The names of most have been lost to time, but four in particular remain. And of these four, only one ascended the Razor Throne to claim the title of the Queen of the Succubi. Oh, the Razor Throne? They're all Malkinthet. like... Malkinthet. <laughs> yeah, Malkinthet has to like, you know, trepidatiously sort of climb the Razor Throne. You know, at no point, and no point did I actually read the description of a Razor Throne. So I'm not not sure. But maybe. No, you didn't, but it's called a razor throne. Yeah, yeah. It's, probably it's gotta be called that for that, reason, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So Malkintha is a Tanari demon lord and is also queen of Succubi. She's said to be a statuesque beauty who wears a sardonic, a sardonic smile on her ruby lips. Curved horns jut from her brow and hold back her long dark hair, and her eyes smolder with dangerous red sensuality. <laughs> Large leathery wings stre stretch from her back, the joints of which are laced with razor-like claws, and a sinuous tail ending in a thin curved spike completes the image of demonic beauty. She wears a revealing gown of diaphanous silk and razor-studded leather straps, and she idly toys with a glittering and sparkling scourge made of fine adamantine spike chains. Yeah, this is bad sex. This is not bad sex. This is kinky sex. This is razor blades, though. I don't know what <laughs> sect of kink that is. It's... <laughs> But good for them. Good for them. Yeah. As seductive as she is dangerous, Malkinthet is the patron of the hedonistic, the lustful, and those who would use their beauty and magic charms to control and ruin those around them. As befits her nature, Malkinthet's primary goal is self-satisfaction. All her myriad plots and machinations have this ultimate goal in mind, be it the achievement of a new form of physical pleasure, a sampling of heretofore unknown rapture, or the rush of heat when a hated enemy is humiliated or laid low. This is looking for that pleasure. <laughs> What's up with TSR, like, in the fucking drawing room for this, like, sex war question mark? And, like, a bunch of, like, pins with red thread, like, going to, like, you know, razor throne, spike chains. I'll tell you what, like, man. Raw flesh. The, the the two major sources of information on Malcolm that are uh, 3.5's uh, Fiendish, uh, Fiendish Folio. No, not Folio. What's it called? Uh, I think it's uh, Fiendish Codex uh, Hordes of the Abyss. Okay. And Dragon Magazine 353. So, Fuck yeah. Dragon yeah, Magazine strikes again. Indeed. They're all about, they do not hold, 
their punches. No, it, it's Dragon a very magazine. rated R magazine, I will have to say. Uh, that being said, she is neither vapid or self-indulgent to the point of incompetence. Malkinthet has held, held the title of Queen of the Succubi for a relatively short period of time, 2,000 years. The title is young, and Malkinthet is well aware of that fact. In order to secure the position, she has spent countless centuries waging war, developing her cult, spreading out her influence via spy networks and secret trysts and alliances. Her political acumen and ability to manipulate is rivaled only by Grazit, the Dark Prince, who by no coincidence is deemed her greatest enemy. Oh. But despite this ability to navigate the tides of war and politics in the abyss so adeptly, or maybe because of it, Malkithet has more enemies than allies. Interesting. Can you remind me of Grazit again? He's he, he's hot, right? Yeah, he's, he's super hot. He's, super he's hot. like the super sex demon. Dang. Like, like, I don't know. He's doing normal sex. They're doing like kinky sex. I don't know. I think Malkithet tries a little too hard. I think Grazit just is sexy. I embody <laughs> it. You you became it, and yeah, I embodied you it. You really adopted I don't know. It sounds like the... <laughs> Sorry, the demon succubi are like they were manifested. Of they like, were there was raw sexual energy floating around yes. that Graz did not absorb. And I it, guess so. It spawned a bunch of monsters that fucked each other mm -hmm. during war. Yeah, to, until there's only four left. I guess right. Is that yeah. the idea? Well, okay. Yeah, there's four of these like demon lord levels. Oh, succubi. okay. So there's yeah, okay. Gotcha. And honestly, as we're gonna learn, there's really just Malcontent at this point. Ah. The other three are quite handled. I her. see. Yeah. Oh, oh my. Magdet dwells on an exquisitely beautiful plain of the abyss known as Shendelavri, oh, the good. 570th layer of the abyss. Okay. To the casual observer, this realm might seem like a hedonistic paradise because, in a way, this is exactly what it is. That's a lot. That's Is that the highest layer level we've come no, across? No, I think uh, Demogorgon 666, bro. No, it was 88. Oh, he's 88. You're right. Who's six? We did cover a 666, I swear. Oh, I swear. That is farther down than 570. I forgot who's <laughs> on there. Inagu? Maybe. It could be. I don't I remember. Did. I don't I, remember. I don't remember. Like, like, oh, man. I mean, I could look it up, but not right now. No, no, no. <laughs> Someone knows. Someone knows. Um, the problem for visitors is that it serves only as Malkinthet's paradise, and the Queen of the Succubi often takes great pleasure in the torment and ruin of her guests. Yeah, these are my kinks. <laughs> you, you don't need to be into my kinks. Malkinthet is served in her palace by numerous incubi and succubi, along with a cabal of 13 Lilitu bards called the Radiant Sisters. Okay. Lamias, harpies, and half-fiend nymphs serve her as well. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the Lilitu. These are extremely rare demons, and essentially what they are is super succubi. Okay. Um, Malkithet has 13 extremely devoted to her, and it's kind of a big deal. Lilitus are Tanari demons born from the ashes of succubi who have sacrificed their lives to corrupt and destroy holy congregations. And this is very literal. A Lilitu is created when a succubus manages to fool a congregation into worshiping a demonic isle in the guise of a beneficent deity at... A culminating point, the succubus will then perform a hedonistic ritual that opens a portal to the deepest levels of the abyss, releasing a blast of fire that consumes the congregation, their church, and the succubus herself. From the ashes, a little two rises. Okay, so it's like a, it's like an achievement. You have it to is unlock. like an achievement. Yeah, the okay. platinum being a succubi at that point. Okay, so <laughs> it seems seems tough to do this. Yeah, it sounds like you have to find like a naive or new congregation and like be like you're worshiping the wrong shit or like start a congregation somehow with like. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's actually pretty likely. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Lilatus have the general form of a beautiful mortal woman standing around six feet. That's 1.8 meters. Tall and weighing around 125 pounds. Or 56.7 kilograms. Which, by the way, six six feet tall and 125, that is absolutely waifish. Like, that is Oh, yeah. They're, very they're paper thin, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 They, like their succubus cousins, have many features that mark them as demonic, including taloned hands, cloven hose for feet, and four tails tipped with poisonous stingers that are each 10 feet. Or three meters. Long. Their eyes. Eyes are pupilless, white, and vacant. The wings that w- that they once had as succubi are destroyed during the transformation and hang tattered and burned from their backs. Oh, gosh. While on the material plane, Lilatus often use their innate magic to cloak themselves in the illusion of an attractive mortal woman, usually one involved in the local religious community. While Lilatus work well with most other demons, they despise other Lilatus, viewing them as competition, even when they serve the same masters. They will regularly abandon all other plans simply to ruin the plans of another Lilatu, with the ultimate goal of destroying her. Succubi are viewed with similar dislike and suspicion since they can become Lilatu as well if they wish. Okay, some, like, very suspect, like, tasteless subtext there. Yeah. That's fine. Or is it? I mean, they are demons, so. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the Lilitus of the Radiant Sisters do not exhibit their kind's notorious intolerance for other Lilitus or succubi, and their songs can be heard throughout Malconthet's palace at all times, haunting and erotic melodies that can have unwelcome effects on those whom Malconthet has not invited into her realm. I like that people are just not cool with, I guess that's most like layers of the abyss, you're just like sort of not cool with being there. Yeah, like you, you definitely don't want to be there. Yeah, yeah. you definitely never want to be there. Yeah, there's like specific no madness where. tables for each one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there can be. Yeah. There can be, yeah. Among the demon lords, Malconthet's greatest allegiances are or alliances are with her sometimes lovers, Pazazu, with whom she has sired numerous particularly deadly succubi children, including an infamous one by the name of Red Shroud and Demogorgon. Shout with, out to Demogorgon. Shout out to Demogorgon. With whom she has sired some true monstrosities, namely the eldest of their children, Erendagot. Aaron DeGrost, who is a fearsome denizen of the Abyss, also named the Maw of the Abyss. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Since the gaping Maw's Demogorgon's lair. And is it Pazuzu? I know we say Pazazu a lot, but it's spelled Oh, like it is Paz- Pazuzu. Pazuzu. My bad. My Pazuzu. Pazuzu. I think it's, people are big fans of, of that one, right? Yeah, we'll get to him eventually. Okay. Um... Aaron DeGrost, this demonic monster is a great beast that vaguely resembles an immense wingless dragon of gargantuan size. Instead of legs, it moves upon a sea of tentacles. In place of scales, it is covered in coarse black fur and has three heads that resemble monstrous horned fiends that breathe bloody acid, fire, and frost. Its six-fold eyes offer instant death to anyone catching their hideous gaze. Oh, bloody acid. Yeah. It's not just your regular acid. It's blood acid. This is the worst acid reflex. Nasty. Okay. Malkithet's most recent consort is the less powerful demon lord, Mastafal, called the Hunting Sovereign and associated with the pursuit of prey. He resembles a handsome humanoid fiend with bright red skin, four arms, and a rack of ibex antlers on his forehead. Mastafal won Malkithet's favor when he presented her with the head of a huge fiendish Smilodon, demonic saber-toothed tiger. Okay. Please, Malkinthet named him her favorite, her favorite consort, and he gained command of the fortress of Vanalon on Pazunia. Pazunia. Okay. <laughs> I, I like it's called, called a Smilodon. That's what they're actually called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like, It's it's because they're, like, toothy. That's clever. Yeah, yeah. Malkinthet may be queen of the succubi and holder of the Razor Throne, but she is not without competition. In a centuries-long war, Malkinthet defeated several other succubi-turned demon lords in order to claim her title and her throne. 
The most notable of these sister rivals were Shamiamore, a demon lord who is primarily associated with depraved sexuality, and the former lover of Demon Gorgon. Shout out to Demon Gorgon. Until Malkanth engineered her imprisonment in the Wells of Darkness. Zinevre, a succubus who revels in the seduction of women and who succumbed to a horrid wound from Malkanthet's scourge and left to a horrid fate in a place known as the Dreaming Gulf, a dark, windy, and phantasmagoric realm that contains floating dreams of evil gods of dead pantheons. Oh, wow. And lastly, Lady Linkab, who survived the fighting but was rendered by her own actions incapable of fighting the succubus queen. This is some devil-style like a little bit, yeah. So, like, what's funny is in 4E, uh, they move succubi and incubi from being associated with the abyss to being actual devils, right? Yeah, and then 5E's kind of done a halfway thing where it's yeah, like, well, now they're neither spread them out, yeah, and now they can do whatever, right? They're they're sex monsters and they can be lawful evil or chaotic, <laughs> they evil. can be lawfully sexual or chaotically sexual, yeah. Malcolm, <laughs> just had- like all of us, I guess, we're all. We have all got a piece of this inside of us, I guess. Uh, most of us. Balkanthet has also long been in conflict with Yinagu, and her only contact with him now is when she sends armies to his realm to assault his kingdom or vice versa. Oh, wow. The exact source of their conflict is unclear, but it seems to be tied to the Mares, a powerful family of wizards who dwelt years ago in a massive castle on the material plane. Among the Mares, Balkanthet's greatest servant was a woman named Aluvia. Other factions of the the Marais family, so is it Marais or Moraz? Uh, maybe that's the type of, I'm going to say Moraz family, served Yinagu, and when Aluvia attempted a coup to gain control over the family's holdings with Malkanthet's support, okay. the resulting magical catastrophe ruined the entire family and left none the victor. In any event, Malkanthet and Yinagu have been in war ever since. That sounds about right. Like, yeah. let's just fucking ruin it all for everybody. If I can't have it, nobody can. Basically, yeah. Yeah, that's some demon shit. <laughs> Only Malkanthet's relationship with Grazit is worse than her enmity with Yinagu. Malkanthet maintains that she spurned Grazit for being unworthy of her attentions eons ago when he tried to court her, and that his wounded pride created the legendary rift between the two. <laughs> Grazit, of course, maintains the opposite. Uh-huh. In any event, the conflict between these two is less one of open warfare and more one of constant scheming to, on how best to upset and ruin the other's realms and plans. I bet they're both telling the same story from their standpoint. Exactly. Like, they think they're so hot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they fucking suck, and here's what, you know, yeah, like, saw exactly. all this stuff. Same that's, story starts the same from both sides. That's exactly how I picture <laughs> it as well. Um, I think it's time to take a short rest, and we will be back to talk about Shindelavri. Yeah. After the 570th layer of the mist. After the sexy short rest. Yes. It's the grand adventures of Ilion and Beard. Oh, it feels good to rest and to paint. Every once in a while, I just like to bust it out, and now that we're on the other side of this body of water, I couldn't help myself. It reminds me of my dreams for when we obtain the pendant of plenteous patrons, which is to use my acrylic paints and brush stroking skills to paint beautiful landscapes like this one. Check it out, Ilian. It's it's a I, I, I call it the infinite sunset. It's, it's this beautiful landscape, mountains, vineyards, all cast in this pinkish reddish glowing hue of the sunset's light. Isn't it wonderful? Hold on, man. I'm still wringing out my beard. Oh, uh, it's so wet. Am I hot? Oh, gosh, this is terrible. You wrung out both of those uh, things like six or seven times. I'm like a walking sponge. You really are. Yes. And I am your sponge of knowledge as you you permit me with all of your... and, and, and 
beautiful knowledge that you've gathered over the years. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure traveling with you, honestly, and I, I, I can't tell you how good I feel painting. I am running low on paint, so it would be nice to get the pendant and then I could restock my supplies. Yes, yes, of course, of course, and don't mind me as I shake out my robes, oh, just water everywhere. Oh, oh, man, so, I'm so sorry. I seem to have ruined your painting. No. <laughs> I'd, you know what? It's fine. I'll just. I'd, there's only a couple spots to touch up. Maybe don't um, wave that thing around so much. God, you're you're just so wet. How did you do that? I'm a wizard. I dried off like ten minutes ago. I am. I'm covered in cloth, and my hair is quite long. Okay, and just so stop is my beard. getting so close to the canvas. <sighs> fine. I'll go just, over here. You know I'm just gonna put it away all my the way. Beard. <laughs> what? Beard. Beard. Come here. Look at this. Look what I found. What, what is it? Footprints in the soft, moist soil by the lakeside. They look the, the same as as we found at the beginning of the dungeon. Yes, pushed into the dust. People have been here before us. Ben, this is unacceptable. They are going to get the pendant of plenty's patrons before we do, and you know how much we need it. We need it. We cannot we allow this. We need it. No, there's no time to waste. Wait. Let's go. Alien, come I'm back. Going. Oh, come. I'm okay, going. I'm I'm coming after you. I'm packing up. Come back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. 
Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. We've returned. Do we have? We're fucking back. We're fucking back. Back to fucking. No. No, wait, not us. Them. Probably. Them. Yes, absolutely. The demons. Yeah, we, we are going to talk about more sex. It's true. <laughs> it's true. If you were wondering in the short rest, if we were going to talk about, oh, speaking of the short rest, if you guys want to help Ilian and Beeren uh, secure the pendant of plenteous patrons, they'll have an opportunity to do so next episode. And we'll see how it goes. Okay. Yeah. But they need your contributions. They do. The, your your contributions directly power directly them. Directly power the pendant of plenteous patrons. And it's they're, true. they're urged to obtain it grows indeed um so you know don't miss the short rest next episode don't do it i'm gonna hype myself up for it oh yeah <laughs> so let's talk about chandelavri yeah we should. 570th layer of the abyss and domain of malcontent mm -hmm. situated on a verdant sil sliver of land balanced between sweeping panoramic mountains and a lush ocean cast red under a heart-stirring permanent sunset uh-huh Chandelavri looks more like a romantic painting than a layer of the abyss, but the magnificent vistas conceal a deadly truth. Mm -hmm. Chandelavri is a paradise to Malkanthet alone, and its every charming feature exists only to lull its visitors into a false sense of safety and relaxation. It sounds like something Beeren would paint Lakeside. It does! Yeah. Oh, God. I'm sorry, I was about to do a beer and voice. But. We don't do the skit until the end of the... We haven't yeah, done the we skit haven't yet. We haven't done the skit yet. So, so we don't know So yet. it can include things from the back half of the episode Indeed. as well. But yeah. yeah, so that's probably in there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, beyond the manicured hanging gardens and the gleaming marble facades... The facades for this episode. No! You almost said it. I it wasn't did. me. It was you. <laughs> Chandelavri hides endless torture chambers, laboratories, and murderous political schemes. Neat. Most mortal residents of the lair drawn unwittingly into the abyss by succubi or incubi, posing as vivacious lovers, never experience the darker side of the lair, instead living out a life of utter luxury and decadence until they have become utterly corrupted. I see. Then their demonic lovers murder them, often slowly <laughs> and with great precision. Sorry. Uh, and I was looking for like a meters to read off of that. I was like, no, wait. I was just like slowly. I mean, it's easy to be precise when you do it slowly. Like, yeah, precision is only most of the time impressive when done quickly. It's like, oh my god, that was so precise. You did it like that. Well, you can kill someone slowly by like throwing bricks randomly at their appendages, maybe. <laughs> so precisely. And uh, you're yeah. not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, I could like imprecisely throw a brick at your arm. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, sorry. Uh, and their souls are utterly consumed to fuel Malkanthet's arcane power and command over the lair. The Queen's Palace in the coastal city of Rivenheart caps a series of subterranean chambers and tunnels that lead throughout the lair, a haven for demonic rivals seeking to betray her and claim her title for their own. Despite endless attempts, Malkanthet has never been overthrown, and coup attempts seldom gain much traction thanks to the efforts of the Radiant Sisters. Uh, the 13 unswervingly loyal Lilitu bards. But Malkinthet prefers to allow would-be betrayers to work their angles as long as possible before personally torturing them, All, almost as if she makes it easy to plot against her, only because she enjoys little more than meticulously murdering her rivals. Okay, sure. So she creates rivals, I guess? She creates a environment conducive of rival formation. 
Yes. Yes, yes. That makes sense. <laughs> Those dissidents deemed unworthy for tor of torture and elimination are instead shackled to slave galleons bound for Miamanta and the Fields of Harmony. Several locations in Chandelavri deserve further mention. Okay. So, uh, that wait, this Fields of Harmony is in Chandelavri? Uh, yes, it is. Oh, okay, we're actually okay, going to okay. talk about it. First location, though, Alluvia's Arch. Remember, we just talked about Alluvia. We did. She fucked up her own family. Alluvia sounds like a fucking, like, artificial sweetener. It does. <laughs> it does. Sorry. <laughs> Named for one of Malkinthet's greatest mortal followers, the Enchantress Alluvia Marae, this monumental arch of rose-hued stone commemorates Malkinthet's many material plane victories. Its breathtaking bas-reliefs and lurid inscriptions highlight the legends of Malkinthet's many sexual conquests and progeny, including the names of important noble families tainted with her influence on several different worlds. <laughs> yeah, you know the you know the mayor of of Neverwinter. Yeah, I fucked him. <laughs> I fucked him. Sexual like, sexual conquest. It was like four hundred years ago, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> Sexual unions consummated below the eaves of Alluvia's arch with a succubus or incubus always result in a pregnancy that produces a half-fiend child. Oh, man. So okay. specific. It is said that at least once every 600 days, a lone female human garbed in purple robes visits the site and pays her respects to the queen of succubi. The pattern has repeated itself for hundreds of years. Okay. And many suspect the unusual stranger to be Alluvia herself, despite the wizard's presumed death nearly a millennium ago. Uh, all right, it's it's a fucking ghost. It's a sex ghost. <laughs> Weird. Why six hundred days? I don't know, man. I'm sure there's some sort of reason that maybe is involved in the story of Alluvia that I didn't read. Every almost two years, I <laughs> show up here to fucking be sad. No, I think she's she's paying her respects. I think okay, <laughs> and I, I show think, up here to be like that was some good fucks. I long think it's ago. alluding to Here's the fact flowers. that because of Alluvia's service. She's given immortality, right? Okay, she's still sure. not dead. But in order to continue that, every six hundred days she comes here and she pays her respects to the Queen of Succubi for giving her that immortality. So it's just like I would rather the rumor that I'm dead be around, or what? I mean that I think is neither here nor there when it okay. comes to what it's. Yeah, but but anyways, the fields of harmony. Mm. The lu this lush plain produces the succulent fruits and delicious grains that stock Rivenheart's pantries and banquet halls. Vineyards in the foothills of the picturesque western mountains produce some of the finest and most intoxicating wines in the abyss, with vintages so memorable and addictive that they are known by the most discerning connoisseurs of the material plane. All of this agriculture requires a staggering number of slaves, usually political prisoners, shipped by galley to the large seaside town of Miamanta from Rivenheart. Yeah, why this feels like a devil plane? Then, like, there's a lot of de it just feels more like devil shit than demon shit you, to me. If you remember, that's exactly what we said about Azagrat, which is Grazit's plane. It, the oh. way it operates is way more like a layer of the nine hells than the abyss. Interesting. Yeah, Ooh, two sides of the same. As a matter coin. of fact, they jokingly the de other demon lords jokingly call Azagrat the little hells. Ah, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. By the decree of Malkinthet's radiant sisters, the slaves must serve for eternity. In the case of petitioners. By the way, I, I know I, I say petitioners on a lot of these outer plane episodes. Petitioners are like souls of the people who belong on that plane. Mm, okay. Uh, eternity for the case of petitioners or until they die and become enslaved petitioners in the case of mortals. So forever. Yeah. Just, just forever. Forever. Lilitu slave wardens and succubi disguised as common slaves ensure that few workers ever escape their wretched servitude. Oh, I wonder what it's like when you do escape. It's crazy. Yeah. The puzzling hedge. 
The lore of Shindalavri suggests that those who enter the great leafy hedge maze alone and manage to find its center without being devoured by carnivorous plants are granted, are granted their heart's desire by the generosity of Malkanthet herself. Dead-end switchbacks sometimes lead to the endless maze of Baphomet. Uh-oh, don't go there. No, don't go there. But the true center of the hedge labyrinth contains a portal to the infinite staircase. Characters who attempt to cheat by flying into the air and surveying the maze or moving immediately to its center incur the wrath of Gloom, a fiendish adult green dragon who keeps a constant vigil from the skies above the maze for exactly this purpose. It just eat you right out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Those who stay within the confines of the hedge maze have nothing to fear from the woeful worm, but those who attempt to steal their way into Malkinthet's gift risk a terrible fate. I guess there must be some bullshit in the maze they want you to see. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> Did you just burp? I tried to keep it quiet. It just like percolated. It's horrible. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Rivenheart. Yes. It is said that all desires can be sated in Rivenheart, the vibrant capital of Shendalavri. Nearly all the city's inhabitants are immortals or pretending to be mortals, each seeking and providing a host of perversions, debaucheries, and euphoric experiences. Along avenues flanked with crumbling marble statues and delicately crafted freestanding pillars, succubi and incubi lead their dupes to a life of capitulation to the senses, for when the mortals finally give themselves fully to the pursuit of new sensations and addictions, they belong to Malkinthet. As rightfully so. Yes. The queen, the queen of the succubi dwells in an immense palace of domed towers and skylight courtyards. The domain has no doors, and all who dwell in Rivenheart are invited to enter its shaded halls and experience its forbidden pleasures. Pleasure. Such invitations bring uncounted thousands to the plain, but it is much easier to number those who manage to leave Malkinthet's abode than those who enter it. You get like a fucking postcard. It's like, sex dungeon, you want to go? <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of far. I think it's actually pretty like, no, it's like, no, this isn't just a sec. This is Malkinthet's fucking palace. You don't say no to this. Yeah. Mal- like, yeah. You, you don't give say up no your to, soul, but you don't say no. You don't say no to Malkinthet's fuck palace. You the, should be able. Yeah. No, maybe you should say no. You should probably say no. You should say no. <laughs> Next up, the shutter wall. A freestanding cathedral in the foothills north of the Puzzling Hedge serves as the personal retreat of Malkinthet, where she takes some of her most favorite concerts for week-long erotic excursions designed to sap them of their will and make them forever her creatures. Numerous private chambers allow the succubus queen to invite vast retinues of followers and enraptured mortals to her retreats, during which all participants freely exchange partners in a panoply of carnal excess. Jeez, you said consorts like concerts, and you'd already said Shutterwall like Wonder wall and i was like what's going on anyways here's shutter wall <laughs> and after, after all we i feel like we've done wonder wall jokes like a handful of we times did in the podcast last, in the past. Ep- last uh recording session we I did yeah episode, coming yeah. up it was something else that reminded me of wonder wall right i love oasis by the way they're actually one of my favorite bands moving on <laughs> it's a real mixed bag oasis oasis oh, people oh, the gallagher like, brothers just like oasis oh well, you don't like Oasis? No, it's about? not that I don't like them. I just like, they, I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of their early stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, I don't turn yeah. it off yeah. when, they, you know, I don't know. <laughs> hey, man, it's cool. You don't got to like Oasis. They're a particular flavor. For I sure. just said I'm fine with Oasis. I'm fine with Oasis, <laughs> which isn't the same as liking them. I'm neutral about Oasis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what makes a man turn to neutrality? Sorry. <laughs> Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law within the halls and bedchambers of Shutterwall. Do you think the Lilitus are just like definitely jamming <laughs> Wonderwall? Wall? 
It's my shutter wall. And many visitors find the ordeal too much to take as affairs grow progressively violent and debauched. By the time the locked gates open to allow participants to return to Rivenheart or farther destinations, several mortals lay dead upon the cathedral floor, naked and broken amid scraps of clothing and unidentifiable un un organic liquid. That is terrible. It's pretty <laughs> fucking The writer's horrible. room for this is whack. This is the abyss. This is Do not the, forget. Don't, don't forget. We need like a trigger warning at the top of this episode. I seriously... I'll leave that in your hands. Okay. <laughs> the six sacred pools. Temptation demons from Rivenheart often alight to this this terraced series of natural pools to reflect upon their latest mortal targets and conquests. For the gorgeous scenery and calmly babbling waterfalls that connect the pools to the Scarlet Sea are tranquil enough to soothe even demonic souls. A powerful wastrolift. Or is it wastrolift? We've done this before. <laughs> where we couldn't decide if it was wastrolift or wastrolift. I'm going wastrolift. I'll go Wasterlith. Fuck it. <laughs> Are you Team Will or Team Brian on wa on on this word? <laughs> a powerful Wasterlith emissary of Malkovich's professed ally, Demogorgon. Shout out to Demogorgon. Shout out to Demogorgon. Ensures that no interlo interloper befouls the sacred pools and occasionally tempts a visiting succubi to turn her back on Malkovich and become an agent of the Prince of Demons. Shout out to the Prince of Demons. Shout out to the Prince of Demons. The cult of the succubus queen is a widespread but disorganized lot. Each cult seeing... Uh, another, not as an ally, but as competition. And most are little more than simple brothels. On average, Malkinthet's cult buildings look like whorehouses to the commoner, but another dangerous world presides inside. Many people who walk out of the seemingly normal whorehouse do not realize how close they just came to being sacrificed. Malkinthet's cults sometimes have a certain type of person or gender they cater to. For example, one cult might cater to muscular men or high-class women. Another might specify in male-to-male -male services or cater to lithe and fair women. I see. So it's an equal opportunity sex house. Well, no, each one is actually very the opposite. Oh, they it's all an ex they're all exclusive. They're just lots of them. Yes, okay. and they could be any and all. If you combine them, they would be an equal opportunity If you sex combine house. them, you just have chandelabra. Yeah, there you go. Okay, an equal opportunity sex house in the abyss. <laughs> Indeed. Most of Malcolm's followers tend to lean towards a female-dominated cult. However, there certainly are males in her cult, and they can rise to high ranks. In some cults, males are blinded, so they are unable to look upon the beauty of their superiors. Men are also sometimes used as bouncers or thugs in these cults. Okay. The thralls of Malkithet are exclusively female, and as they rise in power, they gain more and more power similar to those of uh, succubi until they, too, can temporarily assume succubus form. Mm. Groups of courtesans, hedonists, and bored nobles seeking a dangerous thrill to add to their lives often seek out Malkinthet cults. Her clerics have access to the domains of chaos, evil, temptation, and trickery. Her symbol is an iron thorn drawing a drop of blood from the lower edge of a pair of feminine lips. It is said that Malkinthet's beauty is so perversely intense that it can drain the life from good creatures that try to attack or touch her. Malkithet can control a creature's will in a number of ways. She possesses many enchantments, spell-like abilities. Her sting drains wisdom and results in domination. <laughs> and even her gaze can wipe away free will and make a person her eternal thrall. Enchantment spells that fail to affect Malkinthet are reflected back on their caster, possibly resulting in the caster's enslavement to the Queen of Succubi. That's a cool power. <laughs> no, you! 
<laughs> Malkitha is a formidable foe in combat, yet she finds no pleasure in participating in a fight. Rather, she prefers to summon allies to fight for her while she hangs back, observes the fight, and uses mind fog, mass charm monster, charm monster, symbol of persuasion, and greater command to sow dissent amongst her enemies. Oh, wow. When directly confronted and forced to fight, Malkitha responds with seizing rage, focusing all her attacks on a single target. She's like, you're making me do this! She just starts to make people, like, take off their armor and get sexy in the middle of battle. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, I don't. Nah. <laughs> so we have some second edition slash 3.5 gaming terms ahead. Uh, Malkinthet's favored weapon is a delicate scourge with three razor edge chains ending in dainty blades known as Lover's Lash. This major artifact, you're the artifact, is a plus five shocking burst adamantine scourge that she can call to her hand as a free action despite any intervening distance between it and herself. The most horrific power of Lover's Lash is its capacity to inflict lasting, horrid wounds. Once per day as a free action, Malkithet can cause Lover's Lash to become infused with her sinful essence, causing its electrical aura to turn crimson. The next time she successfully sneak attacks a foe, the damage dealt permanently reduces the creature's hit points. In order to heal this damage, the demonic nature of the horrid wound must first be reversed by a miracle or a wish. Jeez. The wound still persists, but can now be healed magically by a healing spell. A creature reduced to negative 10 or fewer hit points by a horrid wound is not technically killed. Rather, just before they die, they are placed in a state of suspended animation identical to that of a temporal stasis spell, save that the victim remains horribly aware of their surroundings and passage of time. Oh, no. Restoring a creature slain in this matter uh, requires a freedom spell, at which point the victim dies and can be restored to life by a true resurrection spell. After a miracle or wish is used to undo the demonic wound. He released me, and then they die. Yeah. Okay. But that's probably, at that point, you're probably, oh, thank God. It's horrifying. Yeah, this is, uh, there's a lot of horrifying stuff in this episode. Uh, it's a demon like, episode. Bank, that, once again, all this shit is evil as fuck. Nothing will ever beat the Zuckmoy episode, as far as I'm oh concerned. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> we Yeah, we got, uh, we got sex nailed down in the abyss. We Here it is. It all happens here or as a grap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no sex anywhere else. No, Demogorgon has sex. It said so. <laughs> it, it did say so. Demogorgon fucks. He does. They do. They do. He, <laughs> yeah. You get it. We taking a long rest? Please. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Long Rest. This is a Patreon topic episode so we're gonna take some time to um set the bed lay out some rose petals light some candles and get sexy like malcolm that but less bad like way less bad because uh everybody here wants to be here which is good it's fully consensual yeah please uh all right we got uh are you ready will i'm ready you fucking ready for I'm this fucking Patreon ready. shout outs yes you absolutely. fucking ready for this shit been ready let's do it let's do let's it go so hype so hype uh, thank you to everybody who's coming to Patreon. We're going to shout you out right now since the last time. It's been a little while, but here we go. Sean Mitchell. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean Mitchell. Fiona Kelly. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Fiona. Noodle Lad underscore. Thank you, Noodle Lad. Thank you, Noodle Lad. How would we do without Noodle Lad? We'd have less money. <laughs> we would. Nick Woison. Thank you, There Nick. they are. No wonder. There they yeah. are. Hi, there Nick Woison. I see Hi, you Nick. on the ground. Thank you, Nick. Um, they've upgraded. Uh Ronnie Sullivan. Thank you, Ronnie. Ryan O'Malley. Thank you, Ryan. Mr. Pabs. Thank you, Mr. Pabs. Thank you, Mr. Pabs. Matthias Jensen. 
Thank you, Matthias. Uh, yeah. New, I don't know what this tag is, but thank you, Matthias. Uh, Varus Ellen. Thank you, Varus. Annual subscriber, Varus Ellen. Annual subscriber. <laughs> Uvu Udam. Thank you, Uvu Udam. Annual subscriber, Uvu Udam. Annual <laughs> subscriber. Uh, <laughs> what do I do for this one? Oh, yeah. Is it a woo? Duh. It a... No, 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 no. Yeah, it's like uh, Max Lucas. Thank you, Max. Do I do the. I don't know. You remember. have to do air horns, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Max. That sounds about right. Nathaniel Stankard. Thank you, Nathaniel. Woo. Woo. A slacker named Jack. Hey, we are back. Hey, slacker named Jack. Thank well, you so much. Welcome home. Indeed. Uh, annual subscriber, Jessica Bolton. Thank you, Jessica. Annual subscriber. <laughs> and we had one come in during our recording. Hell um, yeah. Annual subscriber. Oh, hang on. Earthos Creations. Thank you, Earthos Creations. Thank you, Earthos Creations. <laughs> Annual subscriber. <laughs> Fuck yeah. We Hell yeah. It. Hell yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thank you guys. Really appreciate you guys. Super appreciate it. Um, do we want to read like any, uh, maybe next time we should read some more like um, podcast reviews. Yeah, we've had some really nice ones come in and, and some YouTube comments as well. Yeah, that sounds yeah, good. We'll, we'll think, do that next recording. I think we've call, kind of fallen off the like um, go leave iTunes reviews and other review bandwagon in lieu of other ones. So um, thanks to everybody who contributes to Patreon. It makes a big, big difference in our lives. Um, and we are really thankful for everybody that contributes there. Uh, it helps Ilian and Bjorn, uh, which is good. Um, like I said, check we out. like them. Yeah, <laughs> we want them to stick around. We want them to to stay alive um, and have something to chase. So it's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you, thank you guys so much. Um, you can reach out to us on the dungeoncast at gmail.com. We have a PO box that uh, address is in the description below. You can find us on social media. Will's been running that and doing a good job. Uh, it's like Mastodon X, uh, Instagram. Instagram. Is there another one? Threads. Threads threads I, I man i don't open that shit uh but there's also um the discord which is a great way to come have a conversation with us which is it's fun um i think there's a lot of baldur's gate 3 talk going on in there i wonder should we do like a baldur's gate episode like the, the lore city? of baldur's gate um i've been meaning to talk that? to you uh that diggy wants to come on and do some of the dark three stuff oh diggy very, oh hell yeah we yeah. love i love me some diggy so mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. sounds fun um, i'll reach out to him this week and we'll, we'll figure out a date because i know i did see something like that happening i want to cover bane sorry bane that's my name <laughs> except for this bane is nothing like that bane no but they share the same name his name is bane uh and we can uh yeah we can talk on discord um we're doing uh, Star Seeker's Guide to Drakenstar. It's a 5e source book for a galactic adventure. Um, it's going to have 12 new sci-fi slash science fantasy subclasses, species. Um, That's a new word for races and, and uh, a custom species builder with thousands. And I do mean thousands of possibilities. Um, it has a new system called the Glyph System that I created, which is a special upgrade and customization of magic items system. I believe it has over 703 um, possibilities of magic item creation. It's going to have over 100 alien monsters. It's going to have space travel rules. It's going to have spaceship rules. It's going to have all kinds of things. And you could pre-order it now by going to DrakenStar.com and pre-ordering it. 
And space. Every bit of money we're still gathering from the pre-orders is going towards more art, better quality pages, uh, bigger sections, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, by pre-ordering it, not only are you going to get a great product that I'm working really hard on, but you're literally going to make that product better. We're also doing a Baldur's Gate 3 giveaway, maybe still. Um, we might have already given it away. I think by this time. Probably. Probably. So thanks but to. But it's not. Well, on the next, if it's not, yeah. But when it's done, the episodes we record afterwards, we will shout you out. Indeed. And um, let everybody know it's officially completed. But check out social media to see because that will be happening there in, in real time. We Indeed. record these ahead of time, so it's hard to know. Um, you know, and, you know, we don't control you hitting subscribe, but we really appreciate it when you do. Go to the YouTube channel and check it out if you never have before. And uh, hit subscribe, hit like, hit, you know, comment. All that stuff helps boost the algorithm and gets the podcast seen and spreads the influence over Demon Prince Demogorgon, who we mentioned several times in this episode. So shout out to Demogorgon. Thank you very much for your contributions to the cause. And uh, we will catch you guys next time. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Let's call it a game. Let's call it a game. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.